0: Cameron and Obama meet in the White House. Can they really fix online terrorism? The former head of GCHQ explains the fine line between freedom of speech and being spied on. Hundreds massacred in Nigeria. But are Western governments deliberately looking the other way? And why? And why is NATO stepping up operations in the Baltic? The Prime Minister, David Cameron, is going to the White House tonight for a working dinner with President Obama. They're talking about counter-terrorism from intelligence gathering to Facebook. I'm joined now by Sir David Oman, former head of the Government Communications Headquarters, GCHQ at Cheltenham, and BFPS defence analyst Christopher Lee. Hello to both of you. Sir David, the, the Prime Minister is going to ask President Obama to order Facebook and Twitter to report terrorist activity to the US and UK governments, just as they do with with suspected paedophiles, is that an impossible task?
1: Well, this is clearly going to be a significant meeting between the Prime Minister and the President, and it's obviously part of working together to try and undo some of the damage that the Edward Snowden revelations have done. It's about working cooperatively with the major internet companies. I don't think it will be a question of the president ordering them to do things. It will be a question of mutual recognition that it's in everyone's interest to uh, uncover and deal with terrorism, just as it is with serious criminality like paedophilia. What the practical uh, arrangements should be and how far technically it is possible uh, to uh, to work really is something that the experts will have to uh, discuss. But the first thing is to get the right cooperative uh, relationship going.
0: So assuming that that cooperative relationship does get going, how practically do you put it into a way that it can work? So who judges, for example, what should be handed over to the intelligence services?
1: Well, the first step is to make sure that where legal warrants are served, that the companies respect those, and that they can process them quickly. A second step would be to look at the technical possibilities, and clearly the terrorists are extremely savvy about how they are exploiting uh, uh, media, uh, social media, in order to put over their message. Uh, Here in the UK, when suspect sites are reported, for example, by the Home Office, then the Internet companies will take them down, but that's not necessarily a very fast process. And I think it's the companies can do more themselves, uh, as the uh, tragic case of uh, Lee Rigby shows, where uh, the murderers were actually using social media to correspond about their intentions.
2: Christopher Lee. There the are two sides of this, aren't there? Um, um, one is the information is, is there somewhere that we, we tend to know. We know that people are using these social networks, etc. The technical side of actually identifying it and then having people who can say, well, there it is, and is, we've got a complete monitor all the time, You have only got one slip through and that's it. But there's another side that I find intriguing is uh, the a President of the United States has considerable powers of what he can do, like he can, he can perhaps even go to war without having to resort directly to Congress if it's a short affair. Would he have to go to the Congress, I wonder, for permission to do this, to enforce Facebook, to do something? And one wonders exactly how the Congress, especially in a time you know, running up to an election, uh, how the Congress might sort of uh, uh, respond to this.
0: In terms of what to watch exactly, those responsible for the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris were known to the security agencies, but they weren't watched. How How is that decided, Sir David, who to watch? And when? Is it just about resources or, or, or not?
1: It's a professional judgment. And in our case, it's taken by the security service. And th- they have to prioritise their limited resources against targets. If you read the very detailed report that was published on the murder of Trooper Lee Rigby, you see that one of the murderers was under observation on more than one occasion, but the security service felt there just wasn't the evidence there to justify more intrusive investigation. But is
0: there perhaps a problem, though, that the nature of these new crimes that are being committed are people who might not provide that kind of suspicion?
1: I think you've got to remember that intelligence is a, it's a jigsaw. It's working on the probabilities. You aren't going to catch everyone. You aren't going to be able to uncover if every hidden channel of communication. But if you use it consistently and you have a methodology for prioritizing, although occasionally uh, you won't have the, the evidence... Nonetheless, if you use it consistently, you'll stop attacks. And the Director General of the Security Service told us uh, a week ago that over the last few months, three attacks in the UK had been frustrated. So, yes, you can actually make a difference to public safety, but no, it's never going to be an absolute uh, guarantee. And I think if the Internet companies cooperate actively... I don't think it's about ordering them to do things. If they cooperate actively, uh, then proper sensible plans can be drawn up. Uh, And then if legislative backing is needed, as I think it certainly would be in the United Kingdom to get them to uh, create and retain the right kind of data, then uh, Parliament can consider.
2: We ought to also remember that in the United Kingdom at least, there is a considerable legal backup to the so-called freedom of speech and intervention, etc. And that's not to be taken lightly because um, it's in place with what it believes to be the right ammunition. However, going through the whole political uh, discussion at the moment is whether that should be added to and that is one of the difficulties that you have in a political society. So
0: David, how much more complicated is today's problem with terrorism considering that it is so much more international now than it ever was?
1: The the blurring of distinctions between domestic and overseas makes it more complicated. And as we've seen with the tragic case in France, you have outside intervention. You have uh, people outside the country trying to direct those within. And again, we were warned by the Director General of the Security Service very recently that there are those uh, in uh, Syria and Iraq and elsewhere, such as Yemen, who are trying to get uh, uh, extremists within the UK to conduct violent acts. And that's in addition to the occasional large long-term plot of the kind that have been frustrated uh, uh, since 7-7. So, yes, I think it is more complicated. Mm. What is attracting attention now, of course, is the way in which the extremists are using social media themselves, both to get at the public and mm. to try and garner support. Within the bounds of reasonable free speech, there are clearly points at which they step outside those bounds and they are inciting violence, inciting terrorism. Well, we had the
0: case this week of, this, of the so-called uh, sympathisers to Islamic State hacking into the US Central Command. Yeah,
1: and uh, that's a propaganda stunt, it's not a security concern, it's a propaganda stunt, but nonetheless, it gives the impression that these people are more powerful than they really are
2: CRISPR. we we should we should also remember that, that, that when this is not all a reaction to what happened in Paris, uh, certainly in the united kingdom as, as Part of a whole sort of European understanding. Uh, We're very, very professional at this thing. There is a government policy. It comes under a title, uh, Contest. And what it looks at, it looks at, for example, the identification, the prevention, uh, trying to identify intentions of individuals with organizations and how you act upon it. So it's not something that people are sort of scratching themselves after Paris and saying, what the heck are we going to
0: do now? Just briefly. I think
1: that's exactly right. I mean, I helped construct this strategy after. After 9/11, and it's based on a very simple strategic aim, which is normality. The terrorists want to disturb us; they want to disturb our normal life. Our objective should be to deny them that, and therefore fortitude, keep soldiering on, help the intelligence services and the police to do their work, but. Don't obsess about it and, above all else, get on with your normal life.
0: Just briefly, there's been much talk in the papers about Britain's, the British military's response or not to any potential threat or any potential attack in the UK, given what the French are doing with the troops who are backing up the security forces there. What is the government's counterterrorism policy, Christopher? It's contained in something called contest.
2: Well, that's, that's part of it. But we've also, again, got to remember that this is not new. It's not something which, you know, oh dear, there's Paris, we better do something about it. I mean, if you look at the United Kingdom, which is split into what we used to call the military districts, each of those areas, each of those commands actually does have a counter-terrorism policy. You look at what resources you have, this is what I'd do if it happened to me. We think, for example, if there's going to be an attack, everybody thinks London Thinks the, thinks the capital. But what about Birmingham? What about Luton? What about Glasgow? Whatever. And so they are organised and they do have exercises and counter-terrorism exercises and you can see which types of troops. And yesterday just yesterday in the House of Commons the uh, the Home Secretary, Theresa May was showing, showing how we're bringing other groups in. For example paramedics, how to treat uh, people medically for gunshot wounds which is the sort of thing they hadn't had to do before.
0: Well let's talk more now about how you deal with extremism. Charlie Winter is from the counter-extremism think tank, the Quilliam Foundation, and he joins us now. Hello, Charlie. Uh, The truth is, you can't fix extremism, can you?
3: Well, no, I mean, not through reactive policies that uh, are just attempted to deal with individuals who are already radicalised. But what we really need to see is a long-term strategy towards countering extremism. So we need to counter the narratives that individuals are are, uh, circulating in order to recruit people, but we also need to counter the issues at the very heart of it, and that is the fact that there are a whole lot of people, young people in today's society across Europe, not just in the UK, who feel disempowered and disillusioned with their their lives, and they need to... um, uh, An extremist movement, for example, Islamism, but it could just as easily be far-right extremism, uh, a recruiter for one of those groups can come along and say listen you feel disempowered you feel marginalized uh, come join us we have a very uh, we have a political program that will make you feel like you're part of something and you'll also be part of a community of, of brothers and that's a very persuasive and pervasive ideology for, for a lot of individuals and
0: the other problem though with islamist extremists is that even if you have muslim leaders denouncing it it's not going to work either because the extremists are against them too
3: Yes, I mean, extremists, uh, Islamist extremists, they consider themselves to be the only ones practicing Islam properly, so if a a Muslim leader does uh, come out and criticize a a given group, then they will uh, deem that just to be uh, a a reprehensible comment by someone who's not a real Muslim. That said, it is very important that faith leaders do speak out, because they need to allow the the moderate majority of Muslims in the UK and the rest of Europe to be able to feel like they have a voice again. At the moment, extremists are uh, monopolising the the airwaves with their understanding of Islam, and they're giving it a very bad name. So it's very important that moderate community leaders come out and actually say, listen, this is absolute rubbish. These people are uh, giving Islam a terrible name, and this is not what we believe. Is that
0: happening enough, do you think?
3: It's happening more. But it's not happening enough. I think that there, there does need to be more of an active posture against Islamist uh, extremism so David, in the UK.
0: Sir David, uh, how important is it for the UK and other countries, in the light of everything that's happening at the moment, to avoid talking about things like a war on terror?
1: Well, we avoided that trap after 9-11, and we developed the contest strategy, which is still in place over 10 years later. And that is based on the idea of denying the terrorists what they most seek, which is to disrupt us. So normality is the key theme, and the aim of Contest is to reduce the risk from terrorism so that people can go about their normal business freely and with confidence. So it must mean that we haven't had to sacrifice essential liberties in order to keep normality. And it does mean having confidence in ourselves and thus ensuring that others uh, have confidence in our ability to manage this unpleasant, nasty problem which will be with us for a very long time. But we don't need to alter our values to, to deal with it.
0: Charlie, in terms of Islamist extremism, I presume it's going to be here for a long, long time, almost impossible to get at it, though, because it's so widespread, both geographically and through the web.
3: Absolutely. I mean, we are seeing a a new use of the Internet by Islamist extremists. I spend a lot of my time monitoring jihadist forums uh, as well as social media uh, feeds like Twitter and Facebook. And what is very clear is that jihadists... (laughs) that this is an ungoverned space in which they can project and exaggerate their voice. And it, it's very easy for a group like Islamic State, just as one example, to circulate its propaganda across the world very, very rapidly, because there is a very, a not insignificant community of individuals who are obsessive in their need to circulate Islamic State propaganda. Their jihad, if you like, is through social media. Uh, these individuals aren't necessarily ideologues, but they are people who... The parts of a community feel like they're doing something important so, uh, and that that does make it very difficult to regulate so
0: david ju- just briefly yeah, as indeed. the former head of gchq what kind of advice have you been giving the government in recent times
1: it's it's about you've got the right strategy stick to it work on the long-term problems that need uh, working and and uh, charlie's been talking about the prevent strategy and that's still uh, developing see if you can do more uh, in cooperation with the Americans, with the major Internet companies, Uh, after the election we will need to return to the subject as a nation and agree on how far powers are needed to compel the uh, Internet companies to keep the kind of information that can be used to uncover these uh, terrorist cells and terrorist communications. So there's a big agenda. Uh, of, of stuff that has to be done but don't go dreaming up new policies because that's not necessary
0: Alright, so David Owen, former head of GCHQ and Charlie Winter from the Quilliam Foundation thank you very much for your time today
3: sit-rep.
0: Your Still to come, the Ministry of Defence is celebrating 15 years since a ban was lifted on being gay in the armed forces Sit rep. Amnesty International has released satellite images of the towns of Baga and Doran Baga in northeastern Nigeria following what it calls indisputable and shocking evidence of last week's attacks by Boko Haram militants. The images show more than 3,500 destroyed structures. It was reported that 2,000 people were killed, but Nigeria's government is putting the total at 150. We're joined now from Nigeria by the Archbishop Ignatius Kaigama of Jos. Your Excellency, thank you very much for your time today. What do you know exactly about what's happened in these two incidents?
3: Yeah,
4: we know that some atrocity has been. Committed in Baga, and people have been killed and many, many displaced. That's for sure we know. But the statistics, is what is uh, a bit controversial. Um, the inhabitants there, their chief states, quite a number in their hundreds have been killed, and some talk of 2,000. But just yesterday, the military authority are telling us is 150. Now, uh, for me, the numbers don't matter. What matters is the tragedy involved and the loss of human life. Life is sacred, and nobody has the authority to take life. And lives have been lost. This is what should worry us. Even if it was just one life, we should be worried. And the Nigerian government should be worried, together with the international community. How can we save lives? How can people be safe in their domain and live happily? This is Patrick's concern us.
0: You mentioned the international community. What do you think of their response to what's going on in Nigeria?
4: Yeah, we want concrete and effective response. I am told that some degree of collaboration is going on between the international community and the Nigerian government. Various countries are helping in one way or the other. My worry is that um, the help is not producing the desired effect with one positive impact, namely that this killing, this destruction, and this, uh, you know, terrible atrocity should stop. And if the help that comes from the international community does this, then we say we are succeeding. But if help has been coming, I don't know in what form, because my job is that of a priest. I'm not a military personnel. If help has been coming, and yet the killings continue, no matter how few the numbers are, it is uh, quite regrettable. Not to talk of when the numbers are in their hundreds or so. Um, We want to see more effective response. Just the type that uh, took place in, in, um, in France when 17 people were killed. I think there was a wonderful demonstration of love, of unity, of concern uh, for a common humanity and so on. This should be the case also here in Nigeria and elsewhere where there are problems.
0: But Boko Haram are ruthlessly pursuing their idea of creating their own Sharia state at the expense of everything they want to destroy democracy. How on earth can you stop that? How can the international community help?
4: I believe with the information of uh, intelligence and uh, security information available to to, to countries that are experienced in these matters, uh, they, they could easily find solutions. Um, first of all, this group started as a very small group. The leader tells us that he he began with just a knife, but they have grown in sophistication, and they are able to do so much disruption, uh, which means they, they, they have equipment, they have training, they have all this. now. We are saying who equips them, who trains them, who guarantees their continuous progress and so on. If the international community can help to identify or to unveil. And, um, you know, in the area of equipping the Nigerian uh, authorities and, gov- and the military and so on would also go a long way in bringing this. To an end. Your,
0: your Excellency, clearly speaking like this, must put your own life at risk.
4: Yes. Life is all about uh, being at risk. We, uh, my job is that of a Catholic priest. I have to talk about the sanctity of life. I have to talk about uh, issues that uh, go against the common good, and even uh, you know the, the, the common humanity. This is my work. Whether this atrocity is committed by my brother, my Christian fellow Christian, or Muslim or non-believer, I would say the same thing: that life is sacred. We must protect life. We must live together. We find a common way of living in harmony, and we shall experience progress and peace. Mas- I cannot speak out then i think i would have not been able to do my work so my job is to speak and issue prophetic statements condemn evil and promote what is good and this is exactly what i'm doing and if somebody feels okay. offended by this i'm sorry okay.
0: okay monsignor thank you ever so much for your time today that was archbishop bishop ignatius Kaigama joining us from nigeria christopher
2: just 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 put something in perspective um Nigeria is very big. Uh, The people we're talking about, the so-called terrorists, they're in the north. Very difficult to move from the south to the north without a lot of support. The Nigerian army is badly commanded and it's badly trained and they are frightened of what the the Muslim forces, the rebels, will do. And that's something in perspective. The other thing to remember is they're right in the middle of a general election and they are not going to do anything about this because the people they need to vote for them are also involved in, the, in in the north and that should not be uh, uh, forgotten the other thing to remember of course is we had this this terrible tragedy in paris and while it was going on there was a truly a massacre the 2000 were casualties not all dead in nigeria and hardly any news organisation in europe bother to comment on it mm.
0: uh, you mentioned training uh, training of troops in africa is going to happen uh, but the uk has announced a major peacekeeping operation in the democratic republic of congo
2: yeah what will happen there is that troops say from uh from Royal Scots borders for example uh will go uh and they will, and the second battalion the rifles will go to malawi and it's in malawi they will spend a couple of months uh, training, uh, including the Malawian forces. The Malawian forces are the peacekeepers, they're the UN peacekeepers as well. We tend not to get involved directly with that operation itself, but what we can do is train people how to operate, how to train, train them better how to communicate and some of the Africans, especially the Ghanaians and Malawians, have got a very very extensive record and a fine record of peacekeeping.
0: Let's talk about what else is around this week. The top NATO commander general Philip Breedlove has said NATO is going to step up Exercise in the Baltic in response to a change in Russian activity. There, what's been going on?
2: I got a briefing just before Christmas uh, when I was in Nystad in, in, in Sweden, which overlooks the Baltic, um, from the naval commander there, and he was saying, for example, that the Russians have started to probe again as they used to with submarines into the Baltic. It's only the Baltic; it's not further north. Um, and when you look at the Russian uh, interests, the the, the, the countries that are on the other side, like the southern side of the, the Baltic, you can see why they're doing that. They're trying to frighten them. And also, they are. Uh, you have Putin, uh, President Putin, when he's in trouble, and with oil going down below $50 a barrel, he is in trouble. The best thing to do, um, as 1984 by George Orwell showed, is to get out the troops, say, put out more flags, and you give them a job to do and they feel much better for it. But they are probing aircraft, uh, surface ships, and, most importantly, submarines at the moment. And that's why Breedloff wants more exercises to show that NATO's not ignoring it. Let's
0: talk about Afghanistan, because Ashraf Ghani, the president, has announced his cabinet.
2: Yeah, after a long, long time. It's very hard to put together a cabinet. In Af- I mean, it's hard enough to put it in, in any coalition force. But he's done that, and the importance of it, there is a general agreement that, one way or another... For that government to succeed, let's say, over the next five years, they've got to talk to Taliban. And Taliban is not ISIS, it's not uh, IS or anything like that. That is an eternal difficulty. And unless you talk to them, you don't get anywhere.
3: This is BFBS. Rap.
0: 15 years ago, the law was changed, allowing lesbians, gay and bisexual people to serve in Britain's armed forces. Before the ban was lifted, around 60 people a year were dismissed from the services for being gay. Lieutenant Colonel Rolf Kurth was kicked out of the Navy. He now serves in the Army as a full-time reservist.
1: I don't think there was immediate difference in culture from when I was discharged to when I rejoined. I think the culture had already changed. It just the, the rules haven't caught up with the culture uh, most of the people I served with, unbeknownst to me, knew I was gay, didn't have a problem with it. Uh, when I actually did eventually come out, my chain of command um, really didn't care uh, and worked quite hard to make sure I wasn't thrown out. But, of course, the rules were the rules, and I was. So when I came back, I rejoined and met a lot of the people who I'd worked with before, and we just got on with, with life, um, you know, in a, in a new world. But the reality, wasn't, uh, the reality was that I didn't think... A lot had actually changed. It was simply the rules had changed. Rejoining was almost the biggest non-event of my military career.
0: Ruth Hunt is the chief executive of the campaign group Stonewall. The three armed forces are all for the first time in the top 100 of Stonewall employers, which we're thrilled about as well. A real testament to their hard work and dedication and commitment to really getting this agenda done properly not just making sure that lesbian gay and bisexual staff don't experience discrimination but also making sure that lesbian gay and bisexual staff can truly be themselves and when they're able to be themselves they do perform better keeping secrets in intense stressful situations does nobody any good it's not good for anybody's morale or anybody's effectiveness and the armed forces really understood that and it's brilliant christopher your thoughts Uh,
2: Yes. We're talking about the armed forces. This is, you know, the kiss and tell thing that was going on in America really started the fact that everybody could now, you know, do what you like uh, to to some extent, whether you want to keep to yourself or, or, or you want to tell everybody. It doesn't really matter anymore. Interestingly, that MI5 for the first time is creeping up that list, top list of people, organizations that say, what's the problem? simply what's the problem and we will have the a, a same sort of policy as anybody else.
0: Christopher, what have we got to look out for next week?
2: I think the most important thing is in Washington when President Obama will be giving the State of the Nation address and this is when he tells America, he does it to Congress, he tells America exactly what America's doing, what it's like in the State of America and this is the penultimate. We'll What, have what one should we more look to out give. for? Uh, terrorism, but in, in fact most of it I think will be domestic uh, immigration, Health, uh, fuel, the whole thing is, is really. Remember what President Clinton always used to say about an election? It's the economy stupid. Well, and that, Obama ain't stupid.
0: Well, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to all of our guests. If you'd like to join the debate, we're on Twitter. You can follow us at BFBS Sit Rep. Remember, you can listen to us again on BFBS.com Sit Rep. Speak to you again next next week, this time. Bye bye for now.
3: News. Sports sports Sport.
1: and music. music for the British forces. This
4: is BF.